you ready to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book? It's time to write your book. Welcome to the Write Hour, nonfiction tips from the Write Coach. And I'm Joyce Glass, your host. I am so glad you joined me today. Welcome to episode 401 of the Ride Hour. My guest this week is Marilyn Wilson. She shares from her vast experience how to interview people for your book. It is good to be back with you. I took a break from podcasting after planning my son's wedding last fall. Life in general was just a little crazy and I was wiped out, so I took a break. My hope was to be back at the first of the year, but obviously that did not work out so well. But in the meantime, I have been working on my novel, and I've made great strides with that. It's been fun creating another world. My expertise is with nonfiction, but I'm learning how to master the art of fiction. At the end of this month, I'm attending a novel writing intensive workshop with a small group instructed by Stephen James and Robert Dujani. Stephen James' book, Story Trump Structure, has been a tremendous help for me in learning the craft of fiction. And I'm excited to see how they can help me bring my novel up to the next level. I had to turn in the first 50 pages for their critique, and the group will critique each other's work, so it shall be fun to see what happens there. As well as I've been helping my clients, I have two that are about to finish their projects, and I have two more that have started up and we're working on their new projects. So that's just a little bit about where I've been in case you wondered if I fell off the face of the earth or not. I didn't. But I'm back, and I'm so excited to be back. And today, we're going to be talking with Marilyn Wilson. Marilyn is a freelance writer, published author, speaker, and editor with a passion for interviewing. Her current career began at the age of 50 when she threw caution to the wind and answered a Craigslist ad from a New York fashion magazine, even though she had no experience. When they surprisingly accepted two of her story ideas, the doors opened for a whole new career, proof positive, it is never too late to embrace a new passion. Whether through a random encounter on the New York subway or via one-on-one -on -one with an internationally recognized artist, her goal is the same, to share the unique journeys of inspiring individuals. In 2007, this led to her co-launch a successful, innovative magazine focused on professionals working in the local fashion industry. Paired with photography and illustrations by local artists, her articles have been featured in publications such as Rain Magazine and Sean Magazine. Wilson took her passion to a new audience with the release of her first book titled Life Outside the Box, featuring many bios of 10 of her favorite interviews. This was followed by The Wisdom of Listening, where she shares her decade-long journey of interviewing through many life-changing pieces of gold, wisdom, she received in those interviews. We are all exactly who we are meant to be. It's time for each of us to embrace and walk our unique path without apology. You can learn more about Marilyn Wilson at her website, MarilynRWilson.com. The link will be in the show notes. Enjoy today's episode. Well, today I'm so excited. We have Marilyn Wilson with us, correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. And I'm so happy to have her here. We're talking about interviewing and she has become an expert on interviewing. She has interviewed many people, as you heard in the introduction. And 
we are going to talk about how you can interview people for your book. So first of all, Marilyn, tell us just a little bit about you and your journey to writing your book and how you got, came into this interviewing stage in your life and how you were able to make this into something that you share with other people to help them. I always love to show, share my story and my problem is not talking too long. So the <laughs> short version is that I ended up much to my surprise, staying home with my children. There were some learning issues, there was some bullying. And after being home for 15 years, um, it's very hard to get out in the workforce. And so I sat down online on Craigslist on their job postings and saw an ad from a New York fashion magazine looking for magazine submissions, article ideas. And I thought, how hard can it be? I don't know anything about fashion. My husband cuts my hair. I know nothing. I'm from a very humble background, but I knew a couple interviews. And I, I mean, I got A's in high school English, so, so this should be easy, right? And I was very thrilled. I sent three story ideas off. Two were accepted. And it was at that first interview with the first designer that everything came together for me. I have always been fascinated by people. I actually have my BA in psychology. Mm -hmm. I have part of my master's done, but it was just the field was too depressing. And here I was, people were sharing everything about their life and their highs and their lows and their successes and their failures openly. I wasn't being nosy. And all I had to do was write a magazine article. There you go. Um, the journey was really hard. I, I had to learn. I ended up owning a fashion magazine 18 months later. Um, I was out in the public eye. I was not prepared. I didn't know what I was doing, and I just dug in and learned. Um, nobody was happy I was there. At the age of 50, nobody was really happy I was there. And so I had to create my own doors, but it's been an amazing experience. About 2012, my magazine folded, and I was really feeling the need I do these very deep interviews on, on their life journey and so much of the stuff I couldn't share and people kept being intrigued by these stories when I share them in person. So I happened to hear a hybrid publisher speak and I thought, I bet you I could do a book with many bios in them. I could take all this fabulous material and pick out my favorite 10 and create a book. And she was very behind me and supported me. Uh, it took me 18 months of grief and <laughs> self-doubt and tears and not thinking I could write something of, you know, 50,000 words. Uh, but with support, I got there. And so right. it's really funny. I tell people all the time, I'm actually not a writer or author. I'm actually an interviewer. <laughs> and writing is my means to get people to sit and talk to me because I love hearing. I've done over 150 interviews in the last decade. And every single one of them have fascinated me to the end. It is my twitch and my passion. I love that because I love hearing about people too. And I tell people all the time, don't tell me like in school about history, you know, dates and wars and this, that, and the other. Tell me about the people and you will have me interested. I want to hear, I love biographies. I love to hear what happened. And I can, for me personally, I learned so much more about a time period by reading someone from that time period than I did just studying, you know, the facts about that time. So it, it's a just it's a much more interesting way to learn to me and, and to, to also get to know other people. 
Well, my, my latest book is called The Wisdom of Listening, Pieces of Gold, and it goes on from there. And in one interview, somebody shared with me that art, her art was saving her. She came from a difficult background, and she struggled with drugs and partying and all that. And the thing that pulled her away and focused her was her art. Mm. And she said, it's a piece of gold in my pocket that I can share with other women in poverty. And we have what's called the downtown east side. And it can help improve their lives. And she went on to open an art therapy uh, session. She totally funded for these women to help them express things. And so that's how I feel now. I've got goosebumps sharing this because it changed my view of what was happening in interviews. During interviews, people were reaching into their pockets as they shared their story and bringing out all these fabulous pieces of gold that the Mm. the bits of wisdom they had. How did they deal with heartache and loss? How did they deal with success? How did they deal with self-doubt? All these pieces of gold were coming out and they're handing them to me. Mm-hmm. And so every time I, I'm in a room, whether I'm interviewing or not, every time I'm out in public, I actually look around and see if I feel like I'm drawn to somebody because I'm curious mm-hmm. if somebody's holding that piece of gold. And sometimes it's come to me from my brother. Sometimes it's come to me from somebody in front of me at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's come from a, a, the most random places. And sometimes it comes in interviews. So when you interview be ready to receive because you're going to be handed gifts through this whole process. And over time with each interview, it truly changes who you are. So I'm really excited for any of you listeners who are thinking of interviewing. It is a little, a little scary to start. uh, But after over time, the benefits so overweigh the fear that you face. I still get nervous. 150 interviews. Every time I do an interview, I'm nervous. That never goes away. So, so just embrace it and know there's gifts waiting for you. You're, you're there for what you think is the reason. And the whole universe has something planned for you that you don't even expect. Right. And that's what I love, Marilyn, because I've learned the same thing doing this with the podcast. I have learned so much by bringing other people on and hearing what they have either been through or what they have to share or what they've learned and it's brought, you know, enrichment to me that I get to share with others. And it's kind of the same thing, you know, I, I used to teach um, different things. And I still teach writing, obviously, through my coaching. And I feel like I learn more teaching than I do the, than the student may, you know, because mm-hmm. I am digging in and finding these things. And I've, I learn so much and I love it. I love it. It's, it's great. Well, how do people know the right questions to ask at interviews? I've had that asked. <laughs> and I know that's like a loaded question, but give them I, some suggest directions. Just some, okay. some thoughts. Um, for me, it was very easy because my whole goal is to learn their life story. And so I personally start with four questions. And that is, um, where were you born? Where did you grow up? What were you like as a, a child? And then more, most importantly for me is looking back, can you see any instances? Can you remember any stories that hint that you would end up in the career doing what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. So that works for me. Um, I always have uh, questions set aside in case the conversation stalls. But I find if I put a digital recorder on so I don't have to worry and lean into it and I'm fully engaged 
and listening, I can hear where they want to lead the conversation. So I let them lead the conversation. That's just one style of interviewing. Um, there is another style where you're coming because you need something from them. You need specific information, a specific story for something you're writing. And that has to be a little more directed. So in those cases, I usually encourage people to read up ahead of time what they can find on the person and try to write down maybe five things that they'd like to know. Um, I always start as well with a disclaimer with people, and this is something personally for me, is that you can share whatever you want. It is totally private. I will send my article to you first so you can make sure you're comfortable with what you shared. Because sometimes my interviews, because I'm so engaged, get really personal, and people Mm -hmm. share things that help me understand their journey, but they're not comfortable putting out right. and right. so knowing that they get to go and say I'm really uncomfortable with you sharing that can we take that out means they open up further for me and it's one of the reasons I don't do video interviewing mm-hmm. is I like those deep personal things so I think starting with a disclaimer of some kind I'm here for this and I, you can fact check this or whatever you want to offer them, but make it clear why you're there is a good idea. Um, and then, then go start at the questions, but you always have to listen to what they're not saying. People love to share. Mm -hmm. And when they share, they hint at what, at what they want to put out there. Somebody starts talking fondly about something that happens in high school. Often you'd say, wow, that sounds interesting. Why does that mean so much to you? And you get behind the story. Mm-hmm. So really in the end, um, you need an opening. You need to know what you're going to get. If you're brand new, you might want to have a few questions written down. Um, but I'd really encourage people to have a recorder, a digital recorder, and try it out and make sure it works so you're not writing scribbling notes that's very distracting and people know you're not engaged when you're writing. Right. Well, it's hard. It's hard to um, keep up with what they're saying and think about what you want to ask and be writing things down. Whereas you like you say, you can be staying engaged in that conversation much better well, with a recording. I'm, I'm ADD. And one of the things that I found, it's been such a negative when I was going to school and in common polite conversation Uh, But when I'm interviewing, that ability to have my mind race ahead while I'm listening has been a true gift. And so that's what Mm -hmm. I tell people, find out what your gifts are. That was my gift. So when you interview, what gifts do you bring? It may not be a racing mind. What gifts do you bring? And I I try not to. I used to do it a lot. I try not to do it a lot. But every once in a while, when appropriate, I give something back. Mm -hmm. If you're having a personal conversation, I don't have any problem saying, I so understand that happened to me and a very abbreviated story right. or right. just just to say, you know, it's happened to me too, a reassurance of some kind. But the questions are hard. They, they really, if, if you're doing research, you know what you need. Mm-hmm. So you need to think about your opening question and and as the person talks, I've had to pull people back before. Unfortunately, it didn't start happen very often, but somebody wanted to talk to their family and I needed their story. So I'd have to let them talk for a while. And I say, well, that's really interesting. Now, can you tell me about 
what you were like at this age. And so knowing clearly what you want from an interview really helps you because it could get sidetracked and you have to respect them and let it happen for a little bit. But when there's a pause, you need to find a way to say, could we get back to this? You know, that was really great. I really enjoyed it. Right. What I really like to know is this. So um, some people don't talk and that's when it's really great. They don't like talking about themselves. And that's why what I do is so easy because I'm taking them from birth to where they are now. So I just look, okay, we're in high school. Let's, let's look at college. You know, I, I, I know where to direct the next question. But if you're not looking at their biography, then really that knowing where you're going and having a few questions in mind to lead the conversation and just being very mindful if they're getting off track. Right. I've spent three hours on an interview one time and two thirds of it were off track. When I was inexperienced, I just didn't know how to bring it back. Yes. Everybody gets there. There is nothing like practice. May I encourage you? Everybody gets there. You just dive in. <laughs> Right, right. And practice is definitely true. Well, that's perfect. So have directive questions that you want, but be open-ended and let them, you know, have a, a starting point and an ending point. Like, what do you want to finish off with is essentially what you're saying, right? Yes. Again, if you just want their story, it's easy. You lead them along the path chronologically. Mm-hmm. If you... And let them, the stories that sound exciting to them, be the ones you pursue. They will tell you. If you need information, then yeah, you need to know what you have to have by the end of that conversation and what your time limits are. One time I was given 60 minutes, period. I had to do it all. And so I really kept the, fortunately I was a little more experienced. I kept it tight. Other times there's no time limit. So we, I really let it wander then. I really Mm -hmm. wait to kind of see where people take it. Yes, that's great. So you talked about different kinds of interviews. What are the different ways that we can interview people? You There's some different formats, you said. Yeah. I, I have three I use quite often. If I'm able, because I do such personal interviews face-to-face, it's always my preference. There's just body language you get. I get better cues from people. Um, but when I'm interviewing somebody from South Africa, that doesn't work. So, you know, Skype works, Zoom works. If the video will work while you're interviewing, that really helps with those verbal cues. You can tell what's going on for them. If not, then you have to just really listen very carefully because you're going to have to get it all from the audio. Right. Um, So for for personal interviews where you need to get that emotional connection, first would be in person. Second would be Skype or Zoom with, with the video on. And lastly would be just the audio. Um, I have when the connection is bad and it's shocking how many places in the world the connection is bad. I've even used a phone. Um, I put it on speakerphone. I have my digital recorder right next to the output. And that's my least favorite way to do it. But it, it does work. It does work. And you can always email. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that, you wouldn't think is effective, but email can work quite well. 
Yes. Uh, I was talking with one author who wanted to get very specific information stories from a wide, wide variety of women. The time to call all those women would have been phenomenal. And she didn't need a lot from each one. And I suggested she came up with a basic questionnaire mm -hmm. that she could email. Um, I work on contract with Eco Fashion Week Australia. I am author support for Influence Publishing. And occasionally for different charities, I step into to support them. And what I usually do for them is come up with a five to six question email that I send to people that are involved. So mm -hmm. it might be the volunteers. It might be the authors launching their books. It might be, as is with Eco Fashion Week Australia, the team members or the designers. And so I can send that off with very clear instructions, hit reply, type your answers beneath, and send me images. I need one of you and one of this and whatever I need. Right. It comes back in a nice, neat little package. I only have to edit it, and I put it up as a question and answer. Mm -hmm. And I get really good responses from those because it's in the person's own words. Yep. They're fast, they're easy. So if you're having to do a lot of interviewing, or you're trying to do a, a column, say you have a blog and you want to do a column on, on romance writers or, mm -hmm. or something, you can come up with your list of questions and send them off and then just, it's, it's a very efficient way to do a, a very limited type of interviewing. But I've come to really appreciate it and I've been surprised that I could spend hours interviewing these same people and write it myself and get no better response. Right. So when I write, it's really important. When I do somebody's biography, a chapter or a magazine article, it's really important I write it. But for um, interview question and answer emails, they can be extremely effective if you're time limited and they're looking for content. Right. That's a great idea. And I've, I've been interviewed that way a couple times. Yeah. People have sent me, hey, just answer these questions and send them back. And it works because it also gives you time to think about how you want to answer something versus just off the cuff, you know, trying to figure out, well, what do I want to say? Or later on going, oh, I should have said this, you know, so know. it's a great Here, Before we go on, I want to add one thing I forgot. I realized by working with a virtual blog tour company that you can create your own question and answers, your own interviews. And I have been published in magazines by saying, I have a new book out. Here's a question and answer interview. It's all done. Here's the pictures that go with it. Would you be interested? And they said, oh, sure, yeah. I have had interviews go in magazines simply because I prepared a preset um, interview for them. And they published exactly the way it was, so I knew my words were there, my pictures were there. You could set up, if you're releasing a new book, or if you've got a new business you're launching, or you could prepare five question and answers. They each have to be unique. You know, mm -hmm. just adjust the question so they all come up with original pictures for each. And then when you get ready to launch, you look at your favorite blogs or your favorite places you would like the local newspaper or whatever. And you can send them off and say, would you be interested in this? Yeah. And about 50% of the time I get a yes. That's what so, so here you're not interviewing, but you're creating the interviews that you would like to have have done right so it gives you a lot of control and that, that this is new to me <laughs> yeah that's excellent with an author idea you, obviously that's what this podcast is for is for writers 
And yeah. so write that down, writers. <laughs> you get your uh, own interview set up and pitch it places and see what they say. And that's an excellent idea, Marilyn. I appreciate that. Well, next I wanted to ask you, um, when you do a final draft of these interviews, do you, you said something about you offer them a chance to review their final draft. Is that correct? This is a really controversial thing. I've been doing it for 12 years. 95% of the time, it's the best thing I could have done. Mm -hmm. Journalism teaches you not to do this because you're supposed to be independent. You're supposed to take the facts and, and put them out there. But what I do is very personal. I'm telling people stories and I'm putting their brand out there. And from the first interview, I heard all the mistakes that were in previous writers' articles. And I thought, well, I want my, this is a brand decision. I want my brand to stand for safety and, and for the fact that you know you will see it and approve it before it goes out there. Um, there have been a few when they received the copy to the review that thought it meant they could rewrite it and edit it in their own words. That was really difficult. So if you want to take this step, I suggest you PDF it so they can't just, just retype it. They would have to convert it. Um, and that, that makes it a little safer for you. But the thanks that I've received and the number of people that are willing to say yes to an interview from me because of that have opened incredible doors and so it's been a really good thing for my brand so again it depends what kind of writing you're doing if you're doing a very journalistic book where it's more news oriented journalism style says no you do your research you fact check and you put it out there but if you're writing personal things about people if you are using their words you better make sure you've got it right Right. I have just once or twice not sent something, and the first email I get is, that's not what I meant when I said that. <laughs> Words are extremely fluid. You think you understand them. That's also the reason I, I digitally record all interviews. Mm -hmm. I can, it's not just so I can focus. It's so that I can go back. I, I've come home and listened to the recording and realized I misunderstood something in the moment. Mm -hmm. When I listen to it, I pick up other nuances. So it's right. really important that if you're going to include people and what they say in quotes and their lives in your writing, you have to get it right. However you do that is up to you. For me, I've just chosen to, to have them do a fact check. And when people won't do them, it always makes me very nervous. I really want to know what I put out there is accurate. Right. And that, I think that's excellent. I mean, that shows your integrity as well as just being able to get that story out there in the most truthful manner, because you don't, whether it's inadvertently or not, you don't want to be portraying them in, in the wrong light. And um, that way you've got it fact checked and you know, for sure they're happy with it. You're happy with it. It's ready to go. Well, it's happened to me twice now. Somebody interviewed me and took notes and they were fairly new writers. I agreed to it if they would let me see the article. I said, I won't, I won't change it, but I will give you feedback. And both of them got major facts complete. They were scribbling notes. So when they went to their notes, they said I'd finished my master's, that I started a magazine on my own instead of co-owning it. They took a quote that said, um, when people ask me about starting a new magazine, I say, uh, get your own job. 
And, and that's not what the story was. The story was of somebody who said that to somebody and then said, what I'm saying is bring something new to the table. Mm-hmm. Don't take my job and repeat what I do. They took the whole moral of the story out. I sounded awful. So <laughs> those two experiences really made me glad I'd taken the path I did because, boy, some of the mistakes that come out there when people are just taking notes and they're in their experience can be pretty scary. Yeah. Well, I am glad you said that because I will know now to ask. <laughs> I have already learned a little gold nugget. <laughs> There's my little tap of gold today. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about your writing time. Do you have a consistent time you like to write or do you write daily? What works for you? And what are some things that maybe don't work for you? In an audio, you can't see me smiling and laughing. Um, <laughs> yes, but I... <laughs> I really struggle. Um, it's terrible self-doubt, terrible procrastination. It, the ADD, shiny object. I got a, another project comes up. My first book that should have taken six months took 18, and I only finished it with help. My second book, fortunately, because it was my words, poured out of me and then took a year to edit because it was such a, a, a mess. Um, I've never found schedules work for me. A lot of the things I've read so many things and tried to, the timer, the dedicated word count, um, the dedicated writing time. I've, I've tried them all. And at some point they just don't work for me. So I wanted to share, I actually wrote it down to make sure I get it right. I wanted to share this because I reviewed a book called overwhelmed writer rescue by Colleen Story, S-T-O-R-Y. And there's a big subtitle with that, obviously. Okay. And she covers all these. She gives, it's probably the best book I've written because it approaches it from many, many different angles. And I think it's good not just for writers, but people with busy lives and businesses. Yeah. How do you prioritize? And the one chapter that hit for me that I've, I've been really trying to find the time to change my schedule is she talks about that we all have times we're really keen mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be the first thing in the morning after coffee. It might be after lunch. It might be in the middle of the night. We all have a biorhythm of our own and a time that we're keenest and can really move through our work. And then we have other times that are slumps. It's just the work that's important to you, in this case, writing, but it could be anything, right. should be committed and dedicated to, to the time you are most sharp mentally and most able to push through work. And that you save the social media, you save the email responses, you save the things that require less of you mentally for your low energy times. Mm-hmm. Because I ran a magazine for almost five years. I got up, I answered my email, I made writer's assignments, I did this, this, and then my writing came after, but I was only writing magazine articles. 500 to 600 words wasn't hard to do when I was tired. And I realized reading this book that I get up and my really high energy time mentally is first thing in the morning when I'm having my coffee and I've just slept and yet I'm doing all my social media, all my work for other people and and, and all that's crammed. So this is like a 10 year schedule I have to change and it's not easy, but I'm really hopeful and everybody's difficulty with writing and producing needs to be dealt with differently. We all have different reasons for it. And so if you are struggling, I have to 
admit, I think this is a good read because she gives you 10 or 12 different ways to look at it. And for me, I think I am not writing at my best time. Right. I'm saving my writing for my worst time when I'm mentally tired and that's not working for me because it's just getting started. If I can get halfway through a chapter, I can't put it down. I have to finish it. So it's just that initial cranking the engine, you know, warming it up and getting it going. That's my problem. So it needs to happen when I'm high energy mentally. I get that because I'm very similar and with me, I, and this is something that my husband pointed out to, to me after we'd been married for a couple of years. He's like, <laughs> you are slow to get going, but you're like a freight train, slow to take off. But man, when you take off, you better get out of the way because here she comes. Yeah. That was m- mainly referring to me cleaning the house, but... <laughs> <laughs> But it's the same I've noticed with my work too. Because <laughs> yeah, because but if you're like me, when the train stops, you go boosh. It's hard to get it going again, and so yeah, that's we, what they're saying. When you get your train is moving, that's when you pick up the work that's most important to you, the number one thing at the top of your list. There mm-hmm. shouldn't be more than three things on your list, and the most important is at the top. And if there's other things you need to do, they come if you've got any energy left. Right, right. Is it, so that's is my that best right? advice. I think it's great. Yes, I love that. I, I call it like a priority balance. And I, I don't know if you ever heard of Todd Herman, but I've taken his 90-day year program. And it, he teaches something similar to that idea. And the block he calls it blocking tackling. Block that time, well, all your times, you know, your high energy times, your low energy times, but your high energy times, like you said, are for those things that you need more creative focus. Use that time for that and reserve that time for that. And then the low energy times where that's when you check your email and do social media and anything that doesn't take a whole lot of creative juices, but you, mm-hmm. you can get it done without, you know, feeling like you're going to crash kind of thing. <laughs> so, but, but, but I do know because I do author support, I do know authors that did, the word count every day, Mm 5,000 words a day or whatever. I know people have been successful with the timer and I think it's really important to explore them all. Finding what works for you is, is what's most important. What works for me, it's taken me this long to think I found the idea and I haven't really implemented it yet. So it's okay. Just know that if you write every day, even five words, Mm -hmm. you in the end will have a book. Right. If you've got your focus and and know where you're going, you can write five words a day and it may take you 10 years, but you'll get there. So a writer writes. I I say this to people all the time. A writer is not somebody who's earned money. A writer is not somebody who has put out 20 books. A writer writes. And if a writer writes every day, they get there. You just have to write. And, and it's, it's, it's like everything. It's, it's something, a muscle you have to warm up or an engine you have to warm up. You just write about going to the bathroom. Write about anything to get yourself started. You don't have to write deep and hard and heavy and perfect. Um, I spent six weeks, I decided to quit writing. That was it, I was done. My magazine folded, I'm done. And then I said, I'm gonna write a blog every day for six weeks and see how I feel then. I wrote about throwing up. I wrote about my mother. I wrote about getting stuck in traffic. I wrote about the word of day, a newspaper headline. There was no point to my writing other than putting words on paper. And at the end of six weeks, I was really motivated because mm-hmm. I had quit trying to achieve something. 
I literally got up and write. So if, if you're stuck, just write something. Just, just let it pour out of you, whatever's in there. You don't have to publish it. Nobody has to read it. Just warm up the engine any way that works for you. I think that's great. And that's kind of what I tell people too is that helps you get what I call the gunk out. You know, there's all that <laughs> that stuff that's just sticking up there that is keeping you keeping away the what the really good stuff that you want to come out. And if you get the gunk out, then and the good stuff comes out in the midst of all that gunk and you're like, Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And it, it's you know, just taking your time, but you talked about work count and time. I do a kind of a hybrid of all of that, you know, because, and like you said, you got to find what works for you. I like having the word count goal, but like, I'm not like stressing over it. Plus at the point I'm in my project right now, I'm not, I'm doing more exploratory work. I'm working on a novel and I'm mm -hmm. more exploring the story still right now and the outline at this point. So I'm doing word count just to say, oh, okay, good. Kind of gauging, you know, because some days I can write 2,000 words. Some days I only write 500 words. It just depends on the day and what's coming out. And so I I like that. And I think I highly encourage it. And I love it. I just, I love hearing how other people, what, what works for them, <laughs> you know. But it sounds like we're kindred ADD spirits. So <laughs> that is so true. What you said that you like, that I really like there, and I, I want to make sure that, that your listeners hear what you said clearly, is that you enjoy having a word count, but you're not stuck on it. Mm -hmm. If it's a few words, it's fine. If it's a thousand words, it's fine. Some people get so caught up in saying, I will write a thousand words a day, and if they don't, they get depressed. Right. It's just something to motivate you, and that's what I like that you were saying that I want to put the dot on what you were saying is that all these tools are simply to motivate you. Right. They're there to help you. They're not set in stone. They're not the principal's office. They're not meant to make you feel bad. They're meant, they're tools to help you. So don't get all caught up. Right. Try them. See yeah. what works. You may have to change every once in a while, you know, just to, to mix it up. But they're not set in stone goals. They're just motivations for you. So take them with a grain of salt and use them without letting them put pressure on you. Right. And that helps you too. When, you, when you're when you not putting so much pressure, because I know there's a lot of people that are super per perfectionist. You know, they want everything, you know, just right. Well, I need to do that 500 words in 30 minutes in the morning. You know, and it's like... <laughs> Well, if that's not your best time to write and you don't feel like writing 500 words that day, you may not get it in. Um, you know, you may, or you may get it in at 10 o'clock at night because that's when the muse hits you. Have, to me, it's like have priorities. Like I have priorities, like writing is on there every day because not only am I writing a novel, but I, I think, you know, I'm also just started Mid-Georgia Christian Voice. And that is writing articles on for an online news. And I'm going out in the community getting them. Some people are sending them to me. And I just edit. And But I'm writing something all the time. And you've got to, like you said, keep that muse going. And you just know what's important right now. What is the most important thing I need to be working on right now? And what can I do for it? And if I can't get to it at seven, can I, in the morning, can I get to it at lunchtime? Can I get to it after dinner? When is the best time? And just 
keep a gauge on your day so your day doesn't get away because we can I mean I don't know about you with my ADD self I can get <laughs> lost in social media or just doing paperwork and or you know just piddly things and a couple hours goes by and I'm like oh crap I haven't done that and I had, which was last night 10 o'clock oh shoot I haven't sent Marilyn her questions yet. <laughs> okay. Right. Sunday, Sunday, I realized I hadn't sent you the PDF with interview tips. So, so I plowed through that. The other thing I want to encourage people to do is sometimes you just need to mix it up. Instead of yeah. writing on your computer, um, use your a digital recorder or the recorder on your phone and talk your way through something. Like yeah. just pretend you're telling it to somebody across the table. Just if it's a scene, if it's a chapter, if it's an idea, pretend you're having coffee and, and tell it to somebody on a recorder. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I've done when I was doing my first book, I mean, I was, I cried a lot. I really struggled with something. <laughs> and what I found was we had a really nice summer, which we don't always have in Vancouver, BC. Um, I started getting out on my bike after 20 years and I would ride around and I would think about the, what I was struggling with and think about it and think about it and think about it and I'd pedal away and the wind's blowing in my face and somewhere about halfway around my little loop, the mind would start to quiet and I'd start to figure out where I was going and by the time I got home, I thought, why didn't I think of that before? I just had to quiet my mind and being ADD, that, that meant some activity. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes just taking a walk and with no point except to let the ideas roll around in your mind mm -hmm. or, or talking about it onto, your, onto a recorder and then listening to it, approaching it from a different way sometimes can unstick you like nothing yes. else because you're pounding yeah. away and you're staring at this stuff. You just need to give your brain the creative side a different input so you can shift back from to, to a more well, open, open place. Yes. Yeah, so, and it's that whole giving your body and your mind freedom to, to focus on it. And, you know, sometimes I, I, well, with, with most everything I do, I give it marinating time unless I'm in a big rush. I write it out one day and then I won't look at it till the next day. And then I will edit it. And usually because I've written it, my mind's thinking about it. So when I go back to it, I have some fresh viewpoint of, oh, I could add this or I could do this or take this out. No, that's not going to work. That It gives you that different perspective and it just helps yes. you. Absolutely. I, I find I can't edit once I wrote it. It yeah. takes 24 hours and I'll go back and go, well, those sentences are out of order. Your mind, when you've just written it, continues to see what it thinks it's seeing, mm -hmm. not what you've actually written. So that 24 hour thing is huge for editing. Huge. Yes. I like that. Definitely. Well, what mistakes do you see authors making, whether in general with their writing or with interviews or just in in general what mistakes do you see authors making i think authors in general are first of all too hard on themselves i certainly am great uh, they want to write the great canadian novel or the great american novel or the the thing that's going to change people's lives and they put so much weight on themselves and really at the start it's about putting your thoughts onto paper mm -hmm. everything a good editor can take Trust me, my first book was very clean. My second book was was lava spewed onto page, and it took <laughs> us a, a longer time. But you know, 
they try to do too much when they're first getting their words on paper. Right. They try to take shortcuts. I, I did an article recently about the people you deal with if you want a quality book. And I start with something called a book whisperer. And you probably do this for people. Um, but it's, it's looking at the start at what your concept is and the direction you're taking and giving you feedback so mm-hmm. you can start on the right road. Um, Then you've got the editing um, and it can't be your friends and family. Um, I read one book where, where somebody who was a friend did an excellent job of editing, but didn't tell him to take out the fat reference. And it was really distracting. It had nothing to do with the story Mm. and the guy liked it. So it was this any editor from a publishing who say that comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the proofreader. And that's the one I find a lot of people skip. I've had an editor. What do I need a proofreader for? Um, and the proofing needs to be before and after typesetting. Mm-hmm. So there's all these little steps in the cover art. I've seen cover art that had the wrong margins on it that the that you couldn't read the back because the colorful back with the colorful lettering um i've seen them not put the space and a half inside and pick a font that my eyes spun because i also review books Mm -hmm. and so you need to do the steps to get the quality book and then it needs to be formatted so it looks quality and all those things have to come together and I mean, doing author support, you know, oh, my friend can take care of the editing. Oh, no, my daughter is going to do the cover. Oh, I think I can do the proofing myself. Sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. But often right after launch, it hits home that that they didn't do what they should have done to the level they should have. So um, first of all, give yourself a break. Know that anything can be plain be cleaned up. Your first job is simply to get the words on paper. The second job is to make it a good book. And there's help for you. And they will walk you through it. And right. they will make sure that what you did is reading well. Right. So take the pressure off. People just, just they. I was that way too. I cried. I was sure I couldn't do it. This is <laughs> going to be no good. Um, and the truth of the uh, the other suggestion I always have to people, they, they talk about writing and people try to write. And I said, if you could just talk through your fingers as if somebody's sitting across from you, mm-hmm. you're more likely to get your emotional content down there. It might still need a lot of cleaning, but if you can pretend you're telling that like I'm sitting with you and looking at you and I'm telling you a story, if they right. can quit trying to write and instead talk to their friends through their fingers, right. that takes a lot of pressure off as well. It does. It does. And don't worry about making it perfect. Yeah. That first go around. Cause again, there's those nuggets of gold that, that will come out when you just yeah. kind of let the thoughts flow through you. But I, I like that. And the other thing that you were saying, the, um, Oh shoot. The first thing. <laughs> Book whisper. Book, Book whisper. Whisperer. Yes. I do do that with my clients and, and it's I, great help them extract out. Cause it's always, you know, I show them, I have, instead of a formal outline, it's kind of like six questions or that they ask for the that go through the whole book. And then they do it for each chapter. And the third one always kind of stumps people. And it's about getting focused and on the, and they're focused for the entire book. And I'm like, and one lady, you know, she kind of wanted to write a whole outline for this. And it's supposed to be a sentence. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't need to know everything you're going to talk about. What is the essence of this book? What do you, when people walk away, 
what do you want them to walk away with? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do after they've written this, read, read this book? What's, the, you know, essentially what's the point <laughs> is, and that, cause that helped me with my first book when I learned that process is learning how to get that focus. Then it, it's, it's easy to write because yeah. you're just, it's like pieces of a puzzle. Oh, well, I just need to put this piece here and this piece here and this piece here. And voila, I have a chapter. And you've got, you've got the good information. And it also helps keep you on track. But I, I yes. call, you know, I always tell people it's like a house with a frame. The framing inside is the same. It's, you know, there's the same requirements. The building code is the same. But inside the house, once the building part's done, then you can decorate it any way you want. You can change the layout you want. That, but if you have that framework, then you, you stay in that and you stay focused. And then your, your creative juices can go crazy with whatever you want to do in there. And I was very, I was very fortunate when I heard uh, my publisher speak. She was just getting ready to run a two-day workshop. And it was eight of us, and we had homework to do ahead of time. And we came in, uh, and the focus was, who's your audience? What's mm -hmm. your why? Why are you writing this book? What's the message? And from there, we worked through title, subtitle, uh, chapter outlines, front of book, bio. We worked through it all, getting feedback from everybody else in the room. And it was an eye-opener to do it first time. Now you have done it once. I don't need that much feedback, but the first time, I always tell people, it's like, you start to write a book and you don't know where you're going. Are you mm -hmm. going to San Francisco? Are you going to New York? Are you going to London? Where are you headed? Right. Once you know what your book is about and where you want to be at the end, it gets easier to figure out what goes in the middle. And exactly. that can, like you said, it can change and shift. So, I mean, you can do personal, personal, you can do writer retreats or workshops, you can do... Uh, classes. There's a lot of places you can get this information, but the important thing is clarity. If you have clarity, the book will get written. Once it's written, work with the right professionals. Right. And I get books for review, and I, I've actually quit asking for print books. I, I've asked for all ebooks because I don't like being influenced when people don't put out a quality book because I'll pick it up and it's hard to read and it's you know, and I think. Uh, before I even start. So now I just get an ebook and I have no expectations. It's just the story. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a quality product. Make it a quality product. Make it the best you can be asked for the help you need. Exactly. So what, on top of those wonderful words of advice, <laughs> what other advice would you give or encouragement for writers who may be struggling or someone who maybe has never interviewed somebody before and they really want to do that for the their book because it does add with especially with nonfiction it does add another layer and depth to the book when you interview people who've either survived something you're talking about or who they live it like I did that with my devotional the, the last day of each week I interviewed interviewed someone about their faith and their faith journey and then like how do they spend time with God I asked similar questions some were a little tweaked to the person because I would know their story but the questions were very similar for each chapter, but the stories were completely different. 
everybody had a different way that they like to spend time with God. Everybody, it's not all just, you know, sit down, read your Bible and you pray and you get up and you go on your merry way. (laughs) There was, everybody had a different story and it was great to hear, you know, we are all created differently and we can all find ways to do it. And when you interview someone, it does bring that other, what I call, it's just another layer of interest to the book. Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I think there's a couple things that, that, that I'm going back to your question because we went down a few paths there. Um, yeah. Word of advice a writer writes. I continue to say that. I, I have a blog, not because I wanted a blog. I thought it was stupid, but my friend talked me into do it. And I, I realized it's a place to write for no reason. I just, mm-hmm. whatever's in there. Um, the second thing is if you uh, want to interview, um, have courage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's really important to understand that if somebody accepts an interview with you, it's because they want the press that you're offering. Mm-hmm. So you First of all, don't ask for an interview unless you're going to deliver. And that's kind of the state. I have three-year-old interviews right now I haven't done anything with, and it's not helping my reputation. So if you're going to do an interview, be clear about what it's for. Be clear about the timeline, Mm -hmm. uh, when it's how it's going to be used and when it's going to come out. And remember, you are, this is, I call it an Ujamaa relationship. You come together to raise each other up. So you're getting information you need for your book from them. Right. They're getting press they need from you. So make it equally, equally um, appealing. Yes. This is what I'm doing. So, so first of all, I know you're afraid that's okay. Nerves are good. Um, but remember they want to be interviewed or they wouldn't have said yes. Right. Because they want what you're offering them in return. So take a breath. They want this as much as you do. Um, I, I, and, and just, if you need to, like some people are more nervous than others. Some people really do need a dry run. Do your friend. Mm-hmm. Like have your friend. Your friend is a, a stay-at-home mom, but used but has a degree in something. Just practice. Ask five questions. Get the feeling for the flow of it. Um, don't do a lot of that because it's never going to be the same. But if right. you really need to try it once, try it on a friend. And always, whether you're a writer, no matter what you do, um, don't surround you with people that are negative. Um, you know, just because you love and accept everybody the way they are doesn't mean you hold them close. Right. Um, I, I have what I call tree rings around me. The people who hold me up and uplift me, inspire me, and, and, and support me to do my best are in close, and I do the same for them. The people that are not as supportive are a little farther out. The people who don't wish me well are farther out. Nobody's ever out of my life, but I was brought up in, in a very religious environment at a time when you were supposed to love everybody equally and keep everybody close, and I've come to realize that's not helpful for them either. No, we all have people that are meant to be around us, and we the closest two people to us are those who are in Ujamaa relationships with each other. We come together to raise each other up. We wish the best for each other. We're not in competition. Sometimes you're on stage. Sometimes I am. I'm on stage. So, as a writer, you're going to get 
uh, you're going to be in the public eye. It's not always going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Having that solid tribe of supporting people close that you trust is really important. Definitely. They would do, they would do a practice interview with you if you don't have a family member. Mm -hmm. So, so you can practice if you need to, but just have faith, go, go prepared with a few questions, know what you need to do. And remember, they want this as much as you do, or they would not have said yes. So you are going in a power position. Remind yourself you're going in to offer them something. You're offering them promotion for what they do, for their ideas, for this is a gift to them. So it's a mutual gift exchange and you don't have to apologize or feel like you're in a lesser position. You're in equal positions. Yes, definitely. I love that. And I I think to add to that also is there's not a wrong way to do it per se. Mm -hmm. Just go with the flow because whatever comes out of it, usually you'll get the information you need. Sometimes you may go a different path than you thought, to get there, but you'll get the information you need. But if you're open and just, and you know, not rigid about it, you'll, you'll enjoy it for one thing and then enjoy it. Just be you, just be comfortable, be you, make them comfortable and record and what comes out of it comes out of it. And then if you get back home and listen and think, Oh, I didn't ask them this. I'm sure most of the time they're more than happy to, Hey, I forgot to ask you one question. Can you, tell me about this that, and then they would be happy to tell you, you know? So, um, I love that to just, I, I honestly do follow up emails sometimes. Uh, it could be, I forgot to ask you this, or it could be, you said this and I'm not sure I'm clear on it, mm-hmm. but it's one or two tiny things that are easy for them to answer. Um, uh, but it, just look at it as a conversation. You're meeting somebody new. They're supposed to talk a little more than you. <laughs> And you really need to practice listening. But if you have a recorder going and your mind wanders a little bit or you're not sure, you've got a chance to go back and listen again when you're by yourself. There is nothing set in stone. You're not going to fail. It's, it's a conversation. Right, right. I love it. It's a conversation. And that's simply what it is. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you're just asking for to learn about them, you know, so that you can help them. I love it. I love it. Well, Marilyn, this is <laughs> wonderful. I have loved talking with you and getting to know awesome. you a little better and um, my kindred ADD sister. <laughs> and, um, so we, we understand each other's crazy ways and that even yeah. though some of us don't and oh, back to the, the ring of friends. I love that because I, there are people that I've had to push out to further rings because they don't understand where I'm at. And if you keep those people around you, like you said, that are your tribe and can help you, that is huge. Whether it's a writer's group online or offline or friends that you have that love that are maybe they're more creative and they like that or they like your creative side. Sometimes people aren't always creative, but they appreciate that in you. So that's wonderful. I love that idea. I I love my friends to be as different for me as possible. I love it when we come together and share things from a million different ways. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that we all take our turns stepping on stage. Mm -hmm. And I continue to tell people nobody's ever out of my life. They just move farther away to a a place that I can manage emotionally and and not lose my sight. Um, 
And, and that's a good thing. It's a right. good thing to know where people fit you in your life because otherwise everybody who says something blows you right and left like the wind. Mm-hmm. And that's not the plan. That's not, you're here for a reason. Um, this is not what our interview is about, but it is a part of what I say all the time is that your quirks are your talents. Mm-hmm. Growing up, my nosiness, my ADD, all these trick, my energy were things everybody wanted me to change. I was told, Oh, Marilyn, if you could just, and it would be followed by what I had to change. Mm-hmm. And the implication of, is I would be loved and, and people would be happy around me and, and life would be good. And the truth of the matter is when I found in, interviewing in that instant I was covered with goosebumps because I realized this is where all of that had been leading this is what I was meant to do I am meant to give wings to the stories of others and I am good at interviewing and if I wasn't who I was I would not be as good as I am it makes me who I am as an interviewer and as an author so I want to encourage people you are exactly who you're meant to be we are meant to become the best version of ourselves as we meant to be but if you have parts of yourself that still feel odd and out of place keep searching there is a place that they will be positive that you can do something positive with the world and and I believe that with my heart I know it's true for me I've got goosebumps even saying it so I'm ending I want to end by just saying you know, whether you're interviewing or writing or whatever you're doing, you're doing what you're meant to do and who you are will make it be what it's supposed to be. So quit trying to change your where you're fit in. Just trust your instincts and step in and learn. It will come together. That is wonderful. And I totally agree because similar things, you know, I, I was always felt like a little odd man out sometimes with, with school. I was a good B, B student, you know, and I, I, but I was never, and I didn't ever have anybody going, Oh, you're so good at, you know, this creative thing or that creative thing. I just, I didn't have that, but I was, but as I became an adult and I started exploring other avenues, I realized my gift of teaching, my gift of writing, my gift of talking, <laughs> all mm-hmm. work together. And look at you now and look yes. at you now. Yes. You and, found the reason. Yes. And I love, and this is, I love this. I love helping people. I love teaching and all of that comes together and it's all work. I mean, even I thought about this years ago when I was in college and first married, I worked in daycares. Um, if you can entertain 15, three year olds for eight hours in a day, you can speak on stage because <laughs> it takes a lot. True. To keep them, yeah, you know, it, it like you said, it all comes together, and whatever your quirkiness is, like you said, there's something a way it can be used in one way or the other, and you just if you it, haven't it, found it, it'll you'll find it. It is your talent, and yes. it will lead you to your passion when you find out the why where it's supposed to be used. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But look at you now. Like I said, we all grow up. I wish I'd discovered this at 20 instead of like 55. I would, I would much rather have, have learned it earlier, but we all learn at the right time for us. And exactly. there's a purpose to it all. There is. And I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> this was fun. It is fun. And maybe we'll have you back again for something else sometime. But I'm so glad that we were, you were here today and you have a great day. You too. And thanks for reaching out and letting me come on. You're welcome. Take care. 
today on the Rhine Hour, nonfiction tips from the Rhine Coach. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and listen on your favorite app each week. Leave a review and let others know how they can learn about the craft and business of writing. It's time to write your book.